Welcome to Bat Therapy, the psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. Okay, so uh, because Keenan and I do whatever the heck we want, um, we're, we're, we're set shifting a little bit this week. Um, so we're going away from our main theme for season three because uh, we want to take a pause for Black History Month. So uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about Captain America Truth and also super exciting is uh, we have a guest with us. So uh, today we have Dr. Jordan Lane, who is a colleague and friend of mine. Uh, he's a also a clinical psychologist uh, like myself, and uh, the reason he's here is he actually provides race-based trauma groups. So he's got some really great background that's going to help inform our podcast today. So uh, Jordan, if you want to just say hello real quick before Keaton gets us started. Hey everyone, glad to be here. I uh, I love this podcast. I'm so glad that you two were able to uh, get this off the ground and make it happen. And so I've been been listening since day one and. Glad to be able to be on here with y'all. Yeah, I always, I always let Jordan know. Oh, here's an episode coming out soon for you. So he's he's one of my workplace people that's helped support the cause. Yeah, as uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because as soon as I uh gave the idea for doing something specific for Black History Month, Amelia told me about about Jordan, and then I was like, yes, bring him on. If that's his background, that is absolutely perfect for this subject matter because we're we said we're going to be doing truth i think the full the full title's truth red white and black it was a captain america mm. seven seven issue run in 2003 by uh robert morales and it tells the story of isaiah bradley who if you don't know is the black captain america in the original story this all takes place during world war ii but they also adopted isaiah bradley into the mcu for falcon and the winter soldier there's some differences there but the character's still very much the same the biggest difference is in captain america truth like i said it takes place during world war ii mm -hmm. in the mcu isaiah bradley's character was a korean war veteran oh that's right i forgot that yeah, he's a Korean War veteran, and and his whole story, it, the way he clashes with Sam Wilson in Falcon Winter Soldier is just oh, absolutely it's so interesting, uh, phenomenal. But yeah, it's it's a very very powerful story, and honestly, like I I think that it's really really important to get this perspective because even though you know we constantly hear like oh keep politics out of comic books and mm. out of media comic books have always been a direct reflection of the society we live in and we're going to get into it but i when i was reading this there were so many parallels that just stuck out 
like when you compare it with real things yeah. that have actually happened in this country, there's so many parallels that you you it's hard, you can't not take notice of it. Yeah. Not to mention, I didn't realize how great of a history lesson was within that comic. There were so many mentions of different historical events that happened that sadly, at least in my own education, uh, were not hit on, I think, at yes. all. Um, I, <laughs> it might depend where you grew up and what kind, you know, what kind of history lessons you get in that sort of thing. But there, there are even literal history lessons that are woven into this comic that I just, I, I was actually finding myself really appreciative of. It really hit me hard because my, um, so my, uh, interesting story. My grandfather was actually a World War II veteran and he was actually at Iwo Jima. And oh my goodness. Yes. And well, and what's really interesting about it is it wasn't until 30 years later that they even recognized the black battalions Jeez. that were there. And uh, I remember the very first time I heard like a big, a, a really big thing about it was when uh, the Clint Eastwood movie Flags of Our Fathers came out. Mm. And there were no African-Americans present in the movie. Director Spike Lee took serious issue with it. Because a lot of people didn't realize that there were, in fact, black soldiers at Iwo Jima, but they were not represented the same the yeah. same way. And so uh, one thing you guys can't see is Jordan nodding vigorously to everything that Keaton is saying, <laughs> which I, I want to just kind of throw out there that one of the things that that really hit for me in this is if you've seen some of our YouTube stuff, you might know I am a white woman. Um, <laughs> for anyone who isn't aware of that. And, and and one of the things that really struck me about this comic that I found very interesting is, so, so you have the like majority culture that tends to be what you see in education, what you see in kind of day-to-day -day things, what is seen as kind of what the average person, quote unquote, should do, should know, should be like. And for a long time, that has been Caucasian, white, white culture has been the, the primary culture. And what was really interesting about this comic was just how much it struck me that different backgrounds, different cultures, different whatever, you're going to have different knowledge bases and you're naturally going to know certain things about your own cultural context. And I'm seeing you guys nodding your head to each other like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And me, it's newer information. And I think that's why these kinds of things are so important, because if different groups of people don't get the opportunity to share, all you have is the majority culture and you miss out on all of these things that have happened. What really makes it interesting is when it comes to the history that you really want to know it's one of those things you have to be willing to go out and search for it mm -hmm. because they might they just might not tell you like there were so many things like things like black wall street yep. that i that you never you never hear about or the the tulsa race riots or even the wilmington riot there there's so many things you uh here in north carolina there's so many things you just don't hear about that gets uh left out of the history books another one the uh, the segregation laws in this country were very much present during world war ii and yeah. so there were times when a black American soldiers had to give up their seats on the train for prisoners of war oh. that were 
that were white like these are but these are things that you just don't know about and don't get shown and so this uh this comic book was very very powerful even though i mean it came out in 2003 it wasn't one of those things that came out a long time ago it was but it was a story that like needed to be told and even though it is a comic book there's so much truth in it just like the name is it's, yeah uh, yeah red white and black it's 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 real. It's a really powerful comic. Peter, did you see in the? Because uh, uh, I feel like when I was reading about just the inception of the story itself, Morales had said that there either way there had been some callback in their mind to like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, and that yes. kind of woven in as kind of an underlying kind of callback theme to yes. Yes, absolutely. It is a direct, I mean, I honestly looked at it as a direct parallel. And what's crazy about the Tuskegee experiment is I was thinking this was something that happened over a one horrible weekend, but this was something that happened over a period of 40 years. It went on from from 1932 to all the way through 1972, and it was funded by the United States Public Health Service. Yeah. So, so we do have some listeners Potentially in the United States who don't know the Tuskegee experiment, but we also have international listeners who might be less likely to know about it. So do you guys want to just kind of share a little bit more about what, what you're referring to? Yeah, Ian, you want to hit that? Yes. Uh, so the Tuskegee uh, study was the United States wanted to, they wanted to figure out the effects of syphilis if it went untreated. And without telling African-Americans, they infected about, they gave 400 African-Americans syphilis just to study the effects of the disease when left untreated. And it was the, the, it was 400 African-American men, I believe. I don't think there were any women. Although their partners and some children got infected due to the lack of treatment and lack of, um, being for, forthright with them about their diagnosis. Right. Yeah. They lied to them. They, they, they told them that the experiment was only going to last six months. It ended up lasting for 40 years. And then after funding was lost for treatment, they kept doing the study without even telling the, the people that they were never going to be treated. None of them were in, uh, treated with penicillin, even though penicillin was around a few years after the treatment began because penicillin was, I think, uh, started being used in like 1947. Uh, And over 100 African-American men died as the result of this experiment. And the United States did not formally apologize about this until 1997. It was President Bill Clinton. When I saw it was Clinton, I was like, it took us that freaking, why does it take us so long to apologize for really, really terrible things? So, so here's my thing. Of course, there are people that don't trust our healthcare system. Are you kidding me? That's so terrible. And there, there there's so many people who are concerned about um, what are the underlying motives for different treatments and things here and there? And, and a lot of people want to just throw that into the pile of, oh, they're delusional, they're paranoid, they're whatever. This stuff happened. Yes. And by the way, I actually read an article recently about um, a, a company that 
has like an app that responds to people in like mental health crisis. And they started putting in AI responses without doing, because they don't have to go through the same consent process that Tuskegee then created for Mm -hmm. the healthcare systems. We, We have to go through rigorous stuff, but there are still ways for people to test things out and experiment without knowledge that of course creates this distrust. And unfortunately, who who gets targeted? People of color and people with mental health conditions. Those tend to be two of the top picks. And it's just, gosh, what's so heartbreaking about this is when you think back on the times that this comic book was written and the real things that actually happened, it's, I, I can't imagine being an African-American in the military at that time fighting mm. for this country given what's happening, what's happening there. And I honestly, I wanted to ask Jordan like about uh, what it is specifically that he does in, mm-hmm. in, his group, in his groups. So it's interesting that you actually mentioned that aspect, Keaton, because that's actually something that has come up within the group and the groups that I've, that I've uh, facilitated in the past, where basically I'll give you a little bit of backdrop. So the, the group itself, while we were just talking about things kind of arriving late to the party, but the group itself was something that was created just over the past, within the past 10 years. And it really was something for individuals of color who had experienced significant racial trauma you know, during uh, their military service um, for them to basically come together and have a sort of you know, group therapy to address these things and to address them in in a few different ways. So one of the biggest things that we found that was present, you know, for folks of color that did experience significant racism during their military service in a a variety of of ways, whether it be things that were, you know, threats to their physical integrity, things that were threats to their professional uh, advancement, um, or just the day-to-day, you know, microaggressive behaviors that folks can experience um, that can lead to, you know, just isolation, things of that nature. However, you look at it on that spectrum, on that spectrum. Um, overall, a lot of folks felt, despite knowing that they weren't alone, mm-hmm. a lot of folks felt alone in that experience. And so, you know, they get out of the service, whatever branch it may have been, and you know, they're they're carrying these, all of these, these negative feelings that were persisting, you know, from their experiences and, and not really having, you know, a source or an avenue, especially from a professional healthcare perspective to be able to try to address these things and work on. And so it basically took, within this particular instance, it took one particular veteran and a, um, a trainee provider they were seeing um, to actually kind of come up with the idea like, hey, there isn't anything that's really present right now that addresses these types of issues. So Gosh. how about we do that? And so through discussion with you know folks that were further along in the field and some other professionals you know that researched this area because you know the work has been there it just was something that wasn't there wasn't a lot of attention being paid to it even back then and we're talking about you know the last decade we've seen we've seen a greater focus on racial trauma and the effects of racism especially over the past maybe five years or so but i mean you guys think back to 2010 i mean how much were you hearing about racial trauma you know, I mean, you knew it was there, but unless you were like an academic or someone that was choosing to seek out that research, the same way that Keenan, you were talking about us having to kind of seek out 
um, historical knowledge for things that are relevant. If you weren't really seeking it, you weren't going to yeah. hear much about it. Very and true. so finally, this group was was kind of formed. And, you know, it, there's a multi-pronged approach to it. So the first element really consists of validating, giving giving all of these veterans a place where they can feel validated in terms of their experience and then not feel like, a, you know, maybe I was overreacting or maybe it was just me by myself and nobody else is dealing with this or you know why is it not significant enough to be acknowledged by anyone you know it, I, it gives a forum to be able to actually address and have that validated and validation is something that can go a long way and it's something that just in terms of a baseline foundation for addressing these kind of things it uh it holds some significant weight so you validate the experience then you also provide some education as well. So the groups will also tend to provide, you know, different sorts of literature and what we call psychoeducational um, groups that kind of highlight what these kind of racial experiences or racist experiences are that they experience, like microaggressions, for example, mm -hmm. the different types of microaggressions. And we all hear that term microaggression, but you know, there are actually different classifications and, and different types of microaggressions that we actually get into. I won't get into all that detail for this forum, but um, just these types of information um, elements that we provide on top of just some information on the negative impacts that these mm. individuals have experienced because of the racism that they've had to encounter from a mental health perspective, from a physical perspective, like physical health, um, and how those things have kind of drawn out within their social lives, family lives, professional lives, things of that nature, just given education from that perspective as well. And then we try to address things from an intervention standpoint by trying to utilize what we call some, you know, evidence-based approaches to treatment, things that have been proven with research to, you know, have some more beneficial uh, responses by, you know, whoever it is that's, that's in treatment. Um, whether it be things like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive processing therapy, things of this nature. Again, that I won't get too much depth with it for you guys with all of that jargon, but we introduce some of those elements as well to give folks a way to try to combat some of the negative things that kind of persist as a result of what they've experienced, whether it be, you know, certain types of irrational thought processes for themselves and ways to kind of counter those things or irrational ways of viewing the world. And some of those irrational things that, you know, I'm, I'm using quotes, air quotes with my fingers, but a lot of these things that develop some of these belief systems, some of the, even like the, the paranoia or the suspicion that we were talking about earlier in terms right. of like healthcare treatment. These are things that, you know, in some situations it can end up just being paranoia because it, there might not be a threat, but it's grounded in something that is valid because of right. what they experience from a historical perspective. There's so, a reason there's a higher attunement looking for that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, trying to identify and again, validate the basis of the suspicion or, you know, the paranoia, but also trying to help them be able to better navigate, okay, what is really occurring here versus what am I just basing, you know, on, previous experience without mm. any knowledge of these current circumstances um, and how can I kind of, you know, navigate those waters in terms of making a, an informed decision based on what's in front of me and not just what's occurred behind me. Um, and then the other element that we also try to do is provide a, a level of empowerment. So, you know, one of the things that 
we see when it comes to racism is there's a certain level of dejection, you know, lack of self-worth, um, lowered self-esteem, lack of power, just all yeah. of these things that make an individual feel less than. And basically the group itself tries to assist individuals and in finding ways to establish some of that empowerment for themselves mm -hmm. by, um, and you know, these things can vary based on an individual, not everybody is gonna have the same sort of, you know, um, approach to something that's gonna be empowering for them. So Keaton, maybe something empowering for you might be, you know, protesting against, you know, something that you, you know, right. stand up for from a civil rights perspective. And maybe for me, that wouldn't do it, but maybe I want to, you know, write something to, you know, local lawmakers or, or congressmen about, you know, certain issues that I have a problem with, or, you know, doing something more active in the community um, that I feel could provide some sort of assistance or benefit to my community as a whole, you know, from a cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's various elements that we try to introduce and we try to, we try to foster an environment as well where folks can come up with some things for themselves that they may enjoy doing and not just being like, well, do this, this, and this and see, you know, see what works or see what you enjoy. You know, we may provide some things as an example, like, hey, here's a list of some things that some folks do, but is there anything else that you may do now or maybe you did in the past that you felt, you know, could be more uplifting for you or made you feel like you have a sense of agency, you know, something along those lines. And so those are kind of the, that's kind of the, the flow of what we do within that group. Um, and then hopefully, you know, those individuals, what we've seen is that those individuals tend to not only utilize this for themselves, but also spread the word to others as well, you know, oh, whether cool. being encouraging or also bringing others to the group that may not have been aware of something I'm like, yeah, you know, I got another buddy that's been wrestling with this same thing for 30 years, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I told him about it and he was like, oh, I didn't even know something like that existed. Let me, let me come, you know, on and on it goes. So yeah. that's, um, that's kind of what we do in a, in a nutshell, you know, from a, from a group perspective. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. And the, the, the thing is too, it's all of the different perspectives that you get and you have to deal with and they i think they do a really good job portraying it in the comic too yeah. because the comic yes. follows three different black men and they're all in different areas of life one of them was a i believe i, I believe he was a captain that got demoted into a sergeant so he was already in the military he had some facial scars from previous from world war one and so he mm -hmm. had already been fighting and then there's isaiah bradley who had just had a baby girl he had a wife then the third person uh, maurice canfield he is someone that is a protester you know he's mm -hmm. fighting for civil rights of all kind because when he gets in trouble it's because he's he's trying to get companies to unionize and mm -hmm. and he gets uh he gets attacked and all three of them end up getting enlisted into World War II. And one of the, the heartbreaking things about it is uh, Sergeant Luke Evans, the one that was already in the military, right when he gets ready to get enlisted, he was he was getting ready to commit suicide. Yeah. Um, he yeah. was getting ready to commit suicide. And it was just, and but it's like, it's like he didn't feel like he had a purpose because the military wasn't really a thing for him at the mm -hmm. time he had gotten demoted. And so he felt like he had lost 
lost he had kind of lost it all and then they he got called back and it was like okay i i have a i have a it was almost like he had a purpose mm-hmm. a purpose again and and then um with maurice canfield he's about to go to prison for speaking out against the military mm-hmm. and the judge says hey you can either go to prison or i'm gonna make you join the military yeah and so that's how he ends up there. And so it was really interesting how they gave three different but very real mm-hmm. uh, perspectives. Because, you know, I, I do like it. It made me think about when um, when uh, Muhammad Ali refused to go to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Right. He was he like he was the ch- he was the champ, but he he refused to go to Vietnam. And, and he had some choice words when they asked him why. <laughs> but he was like. No one in Vietnam's ever been racist to me. Right. I everything I experience is right here. And he actually chose to go to jail. He actually yeah. chose to go to jail. It's like, I'm not going I'm not going to Vietnam. And so it was re- it was really cool that they had a perspective of someone kind of in that position that ended up in um ended up in World War II in the military with this uh black unit and you know right off the bat it it gets it gets bad because I want to say it was like three about three hundred of the soldiers they they took three hundred soldiers and then the rest of them it they don't say it outright but it kind of implied that to keep the secret for the project yeah they just killed them they have right. it heavily implied that okay we only need this many right and they shoot the rest yeah yeah it's uh, and unfortunately, once again, there are certain groups of people that tend to be picked for this more likely than others. But we see it throughout history where there are times that we do not treat people as people. We treat them as lab rats. And I, I know there are people out there that also don't approve of lab rats being treated right. as lab rats, of I- course. Um, And yeah, it's. It's a very, and of course, it's during World War II as well. So, you know, there's all the Holocaust and a lot of different things about just the mistreatment of people by people uh, coming up a lot in this story that, yeah, you, you've got to be ready for this story uh, for sure. Um, but it, it's hits, a very, it hits heavy. But it's yeah, a very yeah. powerful one. And you've got a really great point about the different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, you you a lot of times have like different generations, like you have people, you had someone who was more career uh, military, Um, you have people newer, you have people that more kind of take that role in as their identity versus others that are just kind of forced into it. And that's a really great point about just the interesting way of how does everyone react and respond to the terrible things happening to them. Yeah, and and one thing that I noticed right off the bat too is just the anger, the yes. anger of the the black soldiers. Like some of the third the third party characters that they you don't really even get to see a lot of, but there's there's so much anger that's there because of the racism that yeah. they have encountered at home. Now they're fighting for this place in another country. And there's actually that there's I, I can't remember the exact number, but there were actually a good number 
of African-American soldiers that chose not to come home after World War II, and they stayed mm. in Europe because there wasn't segregation in a lot of Europe. It, they, were, they were treated as heroes there, even though they weren't treated as heroes back home. And, and so all of that, like, all of that just resonated throughout this comic. And even, like I said, even though it's fictional, there's, there's so much of it that draws parallels to real things because they do these experiments on them it's brutal you see a lot of them actually die and by the end i only think it's like five or six of them that the serum works on and then slowly they get killed off and some of it is because of the side effects Mm -hmm. like one of the most heartbreaking things is maurice canfield's character the one that was like the protester that was about to go to jail and chose not to uh, back home. So when they volunteered all these guys for this experiment, they just lied to the families and said, sorry, your kid's dead. Yeah. And it was so heartbreaking because his parents, uh, the father killed his wife and then committed suicide out of, from the pain of the, the son dying. Mm-hmm. And then the son hears about it and because of the chemical imbalance from the the super soldier serum that they were given, um, because of that chemical imbalance, he ends up snapping, and then he ends up killing Captain the Captain uh, Luke yeah. Evans, the the other African American soldier, and it's and then he gets shot, and it's just it's a lot of heartbreak happening mm-hmm. really quickly, and I don't know if we touched on it yet, but the whole point of this experiment was they were trying to make the super soldier serum that steve Mm -hmm. rogers had that was the that was the whole purpose they wanted to fine-tune it and they used african-american soldiers as the lab rats to fine-tune it oh but even though they would send them out have them go and do military related things out in the field you best believe they did not get a captain america suit or anything similar to that either right right so they They... were experimented on they were put to work they were kept hidden Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i i'm interested because it see it seemed like uh something really flagged for you got the anger related to all this and jordan i'm just curious if you have anything just related to your background with with those groups uh related to that anger yes that is something that is definitely a very very potent aspect of you know what what's present with a lot of individuals that have experienced these things that that anger i mean these are things that and you know just keaton you identified how you know even the story does a good job of presenting individuals who have you know somewhat different avenues you know with their experiences and results are still the same ultimately but you know just different different avenues through that and even within the groups you know i've had individuals who were high-ranking officers have some that were enlisted and you know they they have different stories to tell in terms of what their experiences were like but the anger that's present Mm. and the the level of justifiable resentment that is there you know because of these very things that you were just highlighting being able to fighting for your country, working hard, putting yourself in harm's way, and still finding yourself being treated less than, 
as less than as less than 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 others and there being a strong significant potent anger that's there and that anger has a chance to not only fester but grow as it resides you know over the years because these are things that i mean what have they what have they been able to do with it? and as we know unfortunately from day to day individuals can turn on the tv and see other racist related sorts of events and experiences occurring that just can be triggering for them or kind of just add fuel to that fire or, mm-hmm. or reignite whatever anger was already there and so you know this this is something i calling back to the the live action representation of it that we mm-hmm. saw in the mcu that was one of the things that i felt the actor did a, a really good job of portraying oh gosh. That, that smoldering anger mm-hmm. and like when he got upset at that one point and through forgot what object it was but into the wall and you could it was just a can it. it was a can of beans i think it was like yes. a, can, a can of vegetables yeah yes and just the the anger that was there even just broaching the subject and, and just and you he was blowing up not just on on winter soldier but you know also sam who's mm-hmm. you know an african-american man. you know he was just angry in general about it and that is something that in the groups we've seen that sometimes we have to give a place for it and then we have to try to help folks be able to first of all acknowledge the anger but then but we can move along with it in the hopes that some of that anger can dissipate not necessarily not for the sake of you know them forgetting what it is that they experience but more so by identifying for them the the toll and the, the negative impact that having that degree of anger has on an individual especially longitudinally and just over time you know and so you figure depending upon what generation they are you know i had a number of of veterans that were you know vietnam veterans and so you figure talking 50 years of, of just that kind of just strong anger and depending upon how you might tap into the subject matter when you're talking to them what becomes rage you know in terms of a presentation because it's just been pent up for so long and they've had to just kind of exist and live with this. So um, that anger is definitely something that I uh, I don't think I can say that I've, uh, you know, in various degrees of or varying degrees of, of displaying of it, I've seen anger be present in just about everyone that I've seen. And so it's, it's a very understandable, you know, natural emotion to have in response to what these experiences yeah. have been. Well, I mean, think about what anger is meant to do. It's it's it. One of its main purposes is to highlight there. There's a disconnect. There's an injustice. There is a yes. an issue here. There's a lack of fairness or equality or there is something wrong. And it's meant to energize us into action and and make things right. And then you're up against this giant system. And so the anger has nowhere to go. Exactly. And, and yeah, and Carl, yeah, Carl Lumbly, he he really portrayed Isaiah Bradley mm. well in in that. And it was funny because as soon as I saw who was playing him, you know, he he also voiced uh he voiced Martian Manhunter in yes. Justice League and Justice yeah. League Unlimited. Yes. Yeah. And then he also played Martian Manhunter's dad in Supergirl. He he came back and and played oh, cool. 
his his really dad is super yeah. yeah and so it was it was really he's like he, i i almost put him up there in like nerd royalty <laughs> and i was so i was really excited when they announced that he's actually returning for captain america new world order the next yep. captain america movie awesome. so they they are bringing him back but i mean it was just his his story was heartbreaking and it differed from the book because in the in the book the it it parallels it in the way where he does this mission and the government just locks him up because Isaiah mm-hmm. Bradley essentially he he goes in he accomplishes this mission that was seemingly a suicide mission they sent him in there to die and he lives and they lock him up and give him life in prison for stealing the Captain America suit in the comic. And he's in prison for like 15 to 20 years, and then he gets pardoned on Eisenhower's last day in office. I think that's what they said. And after that, he he does go he does go home. And in the comic, it's so unfortunate the the side effects of the super soldier serum has left him with a childlike mind. Mm-hmm. And he was also in solitary confinement. I think they were saying for right. Long for like seven, 17 years or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that combination of things just broke his mind. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, I'll tell you one one thing that was interesting that because I, I didn't know how it was going to go down, they actually do bring in Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. I actually and, love that they do that. Yeah, I do. And it was I liked the way that they did it too. The yeah. the way that he, I think that that he handled it, like his reaction to it, he was appalled as as he as he should be. And honestly, it kind of reading this story, it made me and seeing Isaiah Bradley's character in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it made me upset that we never got that from Steve Rogers in the mm-hmm. MCU. Right. Like I, I I was really upset. I'm like, really, you old man Captain America, and then got rid of him, and then bring in Isaiah Bradley. <laughs> like, no, he needed he before he went back in time. He needed to know yep. about this yep. guy and everything that he went through. Well, and and I think that highlights something that is is difficult for any once again anyone who's not in the majority culture and i don't even mean like the most people fit that culture but whatever is the like forefront seemingly like average or normal culture for where you are is that if you don't fit that you have to fight your own battle and that's mm-hmm. tiring and remember that anger that is there to help, but then you're against this giant faction or system. You can't do that alone. And so one of the reasons um, that I really like that they brought Steve Rogers in um, is because they're showing this isn't just about the African-American soldiers. This isn't just about one group of people. It's It's about all of us. And I like how... Uh, Steve Rogers comes in as as someone being an advocate, an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, like at the end when when he meets um, Isaiah Bradley and he brings the old uniform with him. Um, you know, just these acts to show it's hard because he was it, maybe even harder for it because he was literally around. He was around when all this terrible stuff was going on. He didn't know what was happening per se, 
But he was literally there for this history. And then, of course, he's in ice for a while. Then he comes back and he finds out about it. But this is not easy stuff to hear about and to acknowledge that you or your your ancestors or your family or whoever might be participating in. And he essentially, he didn't turn his back on it. He acknowledged it and and approached it and, and f- tried to find one small way to... um. I guess give a little bit of healing um, in the only way that he, he was able to in that moment. Yeah. And I'll tell you one of my, one of the most shocking uh, pages in the comic is when Steve Rogers is at Isaiah Bradley's home and he looks on the wall. Oh yeah. And he, it's funny because when I see that, it makes me realize like there are different Americas because Mm -hmm. He is well known and a hero of the the black community, right? Yes. Like you see him with pictures up there of like Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson and Richard Pryor and James Brown, Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, uh, Muhammad Ali. Like he, yeah. there's pictures of him with all of these people. Uh, even uh, I think one of the pictures, I think it was uh, it was either. I couldn't tell. It looked like it was either Benjamin Davis or Co- Colin Powell. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like he's well known in the African-American mm-hmm. community. I thought it was really cool that they kind of threw a picture in there of Stan Lee as as well. <laughs> um, but it it does go to show how their his, history is different yeah. for some people. And it's because the stories don't get don't get told and it's just it's it's heartbreaking in the comic because he has this childlike mind and at Mm. the end he seemingly he meets steve rogers and they don't really delve into the state that he's in but he's just he just seems happy yeah he just seems happy um and it's i i personally took it as because of the effects that it left on him because the real Isaiah Bradley, I think, would be closer to what we see mm. in Falcon and Winter Soldier, filled with rage and, you know, honestly, screw this country. Like, that's... that's Well, because that is an Isaiah Bradley aware of what has been lost. Mm-hmm. And and what you're, what you're saying about the different cultures and different histories, I, I think, is just so poignant. And, and that really impacted me as well. Something where I was like, wow... Just look at the difference in awareness of this man. And I don't think it's an issue per se that there are these different historical tellings based on different cultures or groups. The problem is when they're not shared and appreciated across. Because then you go from an acknowledgement that different people and different groups of people have different perceptions, different experiences. You go from allowing for that very real reality and and to me it almost felt like this giant gaslighting Mm -hmm. where if you don't acknowledge that there are different histories based on different groups different perspectives different experiences just like each of us as individuals can be in the same space same room and get different um feelings and and reactions and experiences from it we don't acknowledge that it's essentially telling someone their own very real reality is untrue and think about yeah. all these terrible things that happened and also some really cool things that happened 
And then the white culture is, is saying it didn't exist. I mean, that, yeah. that, that seems like the very definition of gaslighting. And, and, you know, and the one thing I did really love about Falcon and Winter Soldier's ending versus the ending in this book, because the ending in this book, it's like, look, he meets Captain America and he's holding his battered mm. uniform. But in Falcon and Winter Soldier, like Sam actually makes it right and sets up an exhibit for him. That's true in the museum like right there next to captain america it's like look mm -hmm. this look what this guy went through in the korean war and his and even even it's important that i isaiah gets to see that but i i also think it's even more important that his grandson uh eli mm. gets to gets to see that and so uh i don't know if you know eli eli bradley ends up becoming one of the young avengers he gets he inherits his uh grandfather's like strength after getting like he i think he ends up having to get a blood transfusion and gets mm -hmm. blood from his grandfather and that gives him the super soldier strength and so he ends up becoming a member of the young avengers later on and it but it was just really great seeing that because history trickles down History trickles down, and if you don't learn from history, you know the saying, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think it was really good showing that now people will know about Isaiah Bradley. Yeah. And mm -hmm. seeing the grandson react to it, it's like people his age are going to see it and learn from it so that something like this doesn't happen again. Right. I think on top of that, too, one of the things that I've appreciated about the the presence of that in a live action in the MCU was also seeing Isaiah Bradley's reaction to seeing this mm. exhibit for himself as well. Like you saw that despite the anger that had been there, you know, I mean, he had these tears of almost like joy and like, like I'm finally being acknowledged. You he know? probably and, thought it would never happen. Absolutely. And that's, and that's one of the issues that we know that has happened, unfortunately, you know, for many cultures within this country, and we know from from an African-American perspective, a lot of things that have occurred in history, um, things that, that we contributed to significantly as African-Americans that were kind of just, as you were talking about earlier, Amelia, kind of just left out of the mm -hmm. wider spread discussion of, you know, historical events. You know, yep. I mean, even when we look at, I remember hearing for the first time about like, groups of, from a military perspective, we'll say like the Harlem Hellfighters who were a part of, you know, World War One, and this, mm -hmm. this group of African-American soldiers that, that kind of led the charge, you know, and that was something that I didn't hear about them until I was in my 30s, you know, and, right. but I knew plenty of other things from a kind of a, a war and historical perspective. And so there are groups like this, and this is what, you know, this whole storyline kind of made me think about as well in terms of, you know, the contributions that African-Americans made to you know, our, our war efforts as a country, you know, over time and seeing those kind of things being, being left out of the, you know, the wider spread um, popular teachings, we'll say. And, you know, again, the impact of what that can have on individuals when they feel like, hey, I did all of this and I'm not even being acknowledged, but right. these yeah. other individuals, they did what I did or maybe even less than and, and look how they're being, you mm -hmm. know, appreciated and praised and heralded. And it's like, I'm just kind of in the corner. And we see that basically happen with with um with Black Captain America. I mean, the things that he did do 
these were things that were never brought to light until that that um, that exhibit was basically created that uh, that Sam was responsible for. So, and one thing one thing too, Jordan, that I think is so so rough here too is you know this is a story about World War Two, mm-hmm. but I am sure that all of the members of your group that are going through these things are not World War II veterans. Right. This is stuff that's still going on. Right. This is these are mm-hmm. issues that are still occurring and I think that's what is so heartbreaking. There are still people fighting for this country and encountering racism and it, it it's just it, it's just it's just mind blowing. It's just what what you do is is so Im, important because I I have friends that are that are in the military or were in the military. And, you know, some of the issues that they have coming out, whether it's like PTSD or not being able to sleep or, you know, all of these different issues. I. Never really thought about the fact that, oh, on top of that. Mm hmm is racism which is something that would shake anyone already that would shake anyone not even in the military but then you add that on top of that and that is just an atlas holding up the world amount of pain and stress and i i just it, it it almost brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it like just having to to deal with that and f- feeling even lonelier, even lonelier, because not not only are you a military vet, you're a military vet not getting the respect you deserve from other people in the military. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it, that's that's what I think makes their experiences so complex, because just like you said, there there are so many different different aspects present to, you know, to their pain. And even when you look at how racism itself can be present, whether it be the environment, whether it be, you know, the different types of, of racist behaviors that you experience, the, the ramifications or the consequences of those behaviors that you experience. I mean, it, it all can be, and you can have some individuals that, that can deal with, you know, especially from a military perspective, deal with racism in a variety of ways. Um, while they're in and have this kind of multifaceted kind of, you know, racial trauma. Like I, I've known individuals that had, while they were in, um, that had, you know, basically they were limited from a professional advancement perspective because Mm -hmm. of, you know, their, their race or, you know, ethnic identity. And then they also experienced, you know, uh, some sort of, you know, physical assaults because of it as well. Um, whether, you know, they were, they were stationed in an area where there weren't many, you know, individuals of color that even lived, you know, in that town Mm. or wherever it was that was around the base or even on the base itself. And now they're dealing with, um, being jumped by individuals because they were walking in the evening by themselves or, you know, they're threatened, you know, all these things while they're acting and then they go and, you know, they report these things to their chain of commands and, you know, and nothing happens from it, you know, or, they stand up for themselves and try to, you know, defend themselves in the midst of being assaulted and then they end up in trouble somehow. So, you know, all these different things that can kind of be present, just 
within one person, you know, and these are all, like you said, Keaton, I mean, just one of these instances in and of themselves can be enough for, you know, someone to be like, man, this is, this is too much, but you have individuals that deal with all of these types of things. And like you said, across generations, unfortunately, like, mm -hmm. yeah, we could look at, um, how, you know, the Civil Rights Act, you know, for example, may have changed certain aspects of the way that racism can be present, but we all still realize and know full aware that racism still exists. There still are ways for there to be things like institutional and systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And so even Plenty though, of ways that people find to misquote Martin Luther King Jr. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, and, yeah, exactly. And well, and the, the the comic even the comic even touches on it because all those people that all, all the those people that were racist during world war ii uh all of them that were in charge of things you go forward years later and now they're running everything right mm. right that was that was a big thing like yeah there was the one really racist guy that took the fall for it that he was in prison or whatever but the one that was really running the show years later He's running an even bigger show. Right. Well, and I think what you're hitting on, they also show that reverberating out on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. So I, I also appreciated how, um, so I'm fairly familiar with a lot of kind of World War II related stuff. So um, uh, a lot of my family was kind of in the former Yugoslavia area, um, mm -hmm. some, some Serbs in the area, which weren't well loved by the Germans at that time. And, um so once again you know from your own culture you like learn things and pick up yeah. on stuff and i i really liked how they focused in on the fact that um similarly you get to focus on the main bad guy i.e hitler uh mm -hmm. but the united states was not innocent the uk was not innocent right. other countries were doing a lot of the same anti-semitic stuff uh, and in some ways doing it maybe more, I don't want to say like efficiently or effectively, cause that makes it sound like a good thing, but you get what I mean, right. where, mm -hmm. where they, they were actually taking some pretty large strides to mistreat people. Um, and, and just once again, you've, you've got your, your big bad and you focus all your efforts on that. And then these other people kind of get away with staying within the system and continuing to pollute it over time. Right. Robert Morales did a phenomenal job grounding this comic in very real history. Yeah. Yes. He, he did a he did a really. I didn't expect job. that, and it was really really cool. And even at least in the back of of my copy, because uh, I got I like to get the editions that put it all together for me because mm -hmm. I'm lazy. Uh, it it was really cool because in the back it actually lists out a lot of the uh, historical events that they mentioned, so that you mm -hmm. can kind of you know review it later and and look into things more in depth. Well, and Disney brought this, they, Marvel brought this comic back into print after Falcon and the Winter Soldier premiered, because before that, it was impossible to find. I mean, it was, it was like, I saw them like thousand dollars for these issues, like the single issues, like a full, like if you wanted it, you were going to pay a really good penny for it because i mean you couldn't find them anywhere uh and then they brought it back into print when falcon and the winter soldier came out because so many people were like who was isaiah bradley mm -hmm. i want to know about this guy i want to read it and so they brought it 
they uh they brought it back into print and so now uh y'all if if anyone wants it they can just it's on it's on amazon i've seen it it. in barnes and noble i've seen yeah you can you can get it just about uh anywhere but yeah it's absolutely phenomenal i cannot stress enough how great that comic is and i'm really hoping the mcu does lean in and Mm -hmm. give give isaiah bradley his due that's actually a really good plug in general when um, Jordan was talking about empowerment. And I feel like also if, if you want to be an advocate and ally for whether it's people of color, whether it's other groups, um, there was uh, here in the United States, a lot of things going on that first year of COVID. Uh, and, and it included a lot of racially tinged uh, societal like riots and and other things in response to some uh, um, ver- violence that happened against uh, black people. Yeah. And so um, I was kind of struggling with, okay, so uh, you were mentioning the empowerment piece. Like, what do I do? I mean, I, I work with people individually in the clinical care that I do. And um, I don't know. I just couldn't kind of figure out there was something else kind of missing. And And there was actually a local comic book store. Sadly, I don't think they're here anymore, but they were actually saying, hey, um, if you're finding that you don't have a very diverse comic book section in your home, hit us up. And, you know, based on what you enjoy, what you like, we can try and help you diversify a bit. And I thought that was just a, a brilliant idea. And I took him up on the offer <laughs> and I said, hey, um, I'd, I'd really. Yeah, I I love Batman. He will be my one true love forever um but how do i make sure that i have other stories in there and and comics are just a wonderful way of connecting more closely to characters and learning about uh different cultures different perspectives in in a way that can be fun because i honestly i feel like when we can put some fun into this really tough stuff that's nice so i i just want to put a plug out there um, to encourage folks to to do that, because unfortunately, for many, many years, uh, only certain stories sold. I think, Keaton, you're hitting on this. And fortunately, while it's really not been that long, things are changing. We're able to more easily get different stories being told. And so taking advantage of that, I would definitely recommend. Yeah, yes. and, and honestly, just being willing to listen. I think that I think that is such a, a a big aspect to it, like because the the number the number of time like r- racism's very very real, and one of the most important things you can do as I think as far as being an ally is actually be willing to listen and 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 not you know not immediately take offense or immediately have something to say like it's make sure that you listen to understand and not to respond. Mm. I I think that's, that's really the, the most important thing that I think someone can do as far as being, being an ally goes like, look at what that they need. Right. Um, and, and just be, I, I can't express enough. Just honestly, just be willing to listen. I think that is, that's just the the first the the first step as far as what you can do as far as um how to change things these stories need to be told mm-hmm. and they 
you you don't need to cut off any part of history uh i i can't remember who it was that gate that quoted they it was i'm not even sure who the quote was but if they they said if you read through history and you only feel good afterwards you weren't reading (laughs) you weren't really reading history that's a great point (laughs) right um and so yeah listen and just educate yourself educate yourself and just try and be a good person i say that like it's something hard to do but it really apparently isn't. it is <laughs> it really it really isn't it really it really isn't um well, you know keaton i feel like what, what you're saying too is something that we definitely hope for so you know to give you a little bit of additional kind of more specific insight so one of the things even from an empowerment perspective that we do within the groups um, you know, like I mentioned on the kind of intervention side of things, you know, doing things like introducing, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, aspects, but something else we also do that is kind of two-pronged where it's kind of intervention-based, but also empowerment-based is we come up with different types of scenarios that folks can role play for mm-hmm. various types of microaggressive experiences they may encounter, you know, like, hey, so what if you're out somewhere and you encounter, you know, this type of behavior, this microaggression, you know, from this person, like, Mm. how can you respond in a way that isn't just blowing up, flying off the handle, but at the same time also isn't just, you know, walking away. But then we also try to highlight the need for there to be some, some evaluation of the scenario itself too, because not everybody is going to be, not every situation is going to be safe to do some sort of let me educate you on why that was microaggressive and, you know, so that you don't do this again to someone else, you know? And so we actually have some, some role play and activities where we'll do that within the group. But, you know, of course, you know, it, it can be humorous at times, obviously. Right. Um, so we can, you know, we can get some of that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because I hear so much. One of the things that you hear just in terms of the day to day types of experiences that folks still struggle with, you hear about these situations that they encounter and they didn't respond in a certain way. And then afterwards, they're kind of just milling on it for however long, like, oh, I should have said this or I could have said, or what if I had said this or what if I had done that? And it was because, you know, they, they didn't feel prepared when the situation arose. You know, sometimes that can happen regardless because how many of us are walking around with just at the ready for every experience possible? Like, I got a good response for that. I mean, sometimes we're going to be caught off guard. You know, it's just, that's just the nature of being a human being. But for certain types and kind of categories of experiences, again, with that kind of information and awareness and kind of education on, okay, where does this fit? On top of, like I said, kind of an evaluation of the the circumstance itself, you know, it, it at least can can reduce the likelihood of there being this kind of, um, as we say, you know, the word perseverate, but this kind of just being stuck on and going over and over again on this kind of, oh, I should have done this, or I should have said this, or I can't believe I didn't do this or that in that situation. 
Um, and so the thing is, as we, as we uh, help give people more, more material and empower them with, with additional responses, you know, it gives them more, you know, a lot of folks more, more courage and just allows them to have more of a sense of, of agency in terms of how they're going to feel in response to certain situations where there's a realization that, hey, yeah, racism isn't going anywhere anytime soon. We can't eradicate it with just, you know, one pill overnight. But for those folks that may be open to being like what you mentioned, Keaton, in terms of someone that's willing to listen and hear, and, you know, want to be educated, even if it is in the moment, if it's an uncomfortable or kind of embarrassing situation for them because they didn't mean to, to do whatever it was that they did that might have been, you know, we'll say microaggressive and they didn't, they didn't realize it when they did it. These types of more kind of daily, more regular situations as opposed to these larger kind of scale, um, big offenses. Yeah. Just being, just being open to that education, if and when it does occur, you know, can go a long way too, as opposed to just being defensive and then being like, well, I didn't mean it that way. That's not what I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to right. like, but hear what the individual was saying in terms of why it was perceived that way and what may have been ignorant on your part, you know, that led to the offense that is now being taken. Um, that kind of openness can, can, uh, can definitely go a long way. I think one other thing too, I kind of wanted to, because you know, I know you mentioned on, on one side of it, Keaton, in terms of what folks, and Amelia, you were talking about this too, in terms of what folks can do on the advocate side. But I know even in terms of folks that are on the experience side of it, one of the things that, as I mentioned in the beginning, is, is so difficult about this that kind of leads to it having a chance to fester and kind of just perpetuate over time is not having that like you said, I mean, that's safe space. And we're not all going to be privy to having like a large group of friends where we can just, hey, let's or even have, you know, maybe, you know, mental health professionals where we live that we can just, hey, oh, you have a race-based stress and trauma group. Let me come check it out because not everybody's going to have these kind of things. But sometimes, you know, things, even in terms of being able to be with folks that, even if it's just a couple of people that can relate or it'd be a safe space for you, being able to discuss these things some of these experiences, you know, to whatever degree you feel comfortable with and, you know, however safe you feel with those individuals, that in and of itself, you know, can be pretty powerful. It's one less aspect of that kind of perpetuation machine um, being present because now you've been able to kind of share and, and, and have this information be met by individuals that, that care about you and that it's a safe space for. And so, again, I know that's not necessarily going to be possible for everyone, but if you do have that, that opportunity, you know, it's something that's that's kind of the first step sometimes is being able to actually discuss some of this stuff, disclose it or disclose how you're feeling. And 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 here's a well kept secret, although I mean not not an on purpose secret, but I, I think what Keaton, what you said was just so poignant. List listening to really hear someone and understand them, not to respond. And I and I think sometimes folks get understandably intimidated because what do you say? What do you say to these terrible things that happen that that you can't fix? And and here's the here's the well kept secret, I guess. I, I'm a therapist. You know what's sometimes going on in my head? I have nothing. I have I, I, I have nothing to help this person with this. But what do I do? I check with myself and I say, well, not every moment's a moment to try and fix. Not every moment is a moment to say something or 
respond in like a more active way. Sometimes, exactly like you're saying, Keaton, sometimes it's just being there and acknowledging. I think, Jordan, you actually started off, started us off with validation and just acknowledging the reality and that y'all are sitting in a reality that if you could, you'd change it. And and that's the hard part. And and the reason I'm I'm sharing that is because, like Jordan is saying, not everyone's gonna have that opportunity to maybe connect with a provider, or maybe a provider's not what you need. But yeah, just in general, um, meeting each other in that way when these kinds of tough conversations come up. Definitely. Absolutely. Um whew, do you have a Mindful nerd moment for us, Amelia. <laughs> You're whooing. I know. Today was a. It's been a it's, yeah, it was, it was a doozy. One. It, it was, was a good though. And I, yeah, I can't, I can't express. That. It's not an easy story to read. No. But it is a good story. Yes. It is yes. a very, very good story. I think everyone should read it. Yes. It. it yes. Yeah. It. Uh, I. I wholeheartedly agree with that summary. <laughs> so when it comes to the mindful nerd moment uh as keaton knows sometimes sometimes i try and kind of give some sort of uplifting almost empowerment feeling kind of thing when i know there's like a tougher topic that we're hitting on uh not to say that it's not good to face those tough things but you know it's all kind of a balance right so what i was thinking of was I, I, they don't really focus on this part too much in the comic, but I was thinking of Isaiah Bradley when he, I don't want to use the word steal. Let's just say takes without getting express permission, the Captain America suit and just what that experience might've been like for him in terms of empowerment and just in his own way, making something right not the entire situation, but in his own way, finding some semblance of a way to make it right, make it through. And so, yes. So I want us to envision where Isaiah Bradley putting on that Captain America suit for the first time. So as per usual, I uh, just want to ask you to sit comfortably, not rigid, but it's good to you know sit straight just so you'll be comfortable. Uh, close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. If not, just unfocusing them, not looking at anything in particular, just so you can really focus in on this imagery. And I want you to just focus on your breath. Don't worry about changing it in any particular way. Just noticing what it's like to inhale and exhale. And as you breathe, imagine that you're slowly starting to feel that, that coursing strength and energy, the blood fueling you as Isaiah Bradley. You're taking on his persona. Notice what it feels like. You're extra muscular. You're strong. You have all this strength, and yet you're frustrated. But you've made it into the room, and you see that Captain America suit. I want you to feel what it's like to slowly walk across that room and pick up the Captain America suit in one hand and then pick it up in the other, hold it in front of you, and really take in this suit. The feelings it brings, the sensation in your body at just being able to hold 
this symbol, knowing what you're about to do. And you want to take in this moment. And so slowly, you put it down so you can, one foot at a time, put yourself into the legs of the suit, noticing the feel of the fabric as you pull the suit up your legs, past your torso, and maneuver each arm slowly into the arms of the suit. And you just kind of move around a little bit, make sure it's all adjusted. And wouldn't you know it, it fits perfectly. And you know you're going to have to go in a minute, but you know what? You don't get to take very many seconds to yourself. So you just really take this in, the feel of the suit, and the recognition of what it's going to mean when you walk out that door, when people see you in this suit. And you take one deep breath in. And exhale that breath and just feel the power of the suit and what it means to you. And you do a small little smile before you turn and start walking out that door. We're going to now shift back from Isaiah Bradley. So I want you to focus back on your breath. Don't have to worry about changing it in any particular way. And in reverse, go from that powerful blood of Isaiah Bradley coursing through your blood, uh, coursing through you, and shift back to your own powerful energy coursing through where you are right now listening to this podcast. And when you're ready, open your eyes and we'll uh, see how that was for Keenan and Jordan. I really liked it. It felt empowering. So in the comic, when he takes that suit and puts it on and goes into Germany, the, the first thing I thought about, it made me think about Jesse Owens mm. and how in 1936, he went into Nazi Germany yeah. and the owner of Adidas, the day before the race, actually went and asked him if he would wear a pair of his shoes and it was like it's it's chronicled as like the first african-american like athletic sponsorship uh but he went out in nazi germany where they were saying that black people were inferior and won four gold medals that's what isaiah bradley did he put that suit on after they said you're not america and he said yes i am and i'm gonna prove you wrong Right, like yeah. it was, yeah, and so it was. That was very empowering. I really liked that. Yeah, same here. Like that, literally. I was, I was following the uh, your your guidance as you were going through, and literally could feel, as Keaton said, just that that sense of empowerment with even just the the kind of internal visualization of, of trying on that costume, what it or the suit, I should say, and what that what that actually represented, and like you said, Keaton, what we look at things from a larger perspective, just the gravity of that in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And and saying, hey, I know that I was kept from truly representing this thing, but but I am this, you know, mm -hmm. and the 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 weight of what that what that is, it, it is uh the empowerment feeling that's there. It's it's hard to describe, but it's 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 powerful. Yeah. It really is. Um Jordan, I can't thank you enough for coming 
yes, on absolutely this this episode. This has been great. And any resources at all that you have, we're going to make sure to get them posted to the mm. Bat Therapy website. Yeah, if you have any good, maybe like summaries online or things that might be good if people want to look into race-based trauma theory and whatnot more, happy to share. So there are a couple of psychologists that have some good resources directly on their website. So one individual, her name's Dr. Monica Williams. Monica is actually spelled with two N's. And so she's done a good deal of research within this realm. Um, and so she actually has some, some resources. If you go to her website, she'll see some different things kind of guide you to some materials and there's also as you were going through a mindfulness exercise Amelia there's also um and this is not from a political standpoint so I, I just want to highlight this too because I know that you know over the past three years or so this is something that you know became more politicized but this is more so true representation of what the words say but even for those of you that might be interested in things you know like or mindfulness exercise or mindfulness meditations. There's also Dr. Candace Nicole. There's she has a Black Lives Matter mindfulness um, kind of meditation. Oh, and cool. So like, it's not a political thing. This is just about the the value of your life, you mm -hmm. know, as an American. And so um, this is something else that that is readily available out there as well too. So and I will, like I said, I will I will give you all that so that you can kind of post it. You know, as Fantastic. Well. Thank um, you. Awesome. But yeah, but there, are, there are a couple of things too that I can also add, you know, that might be, be helpful for folks to, to reference on there. Awesome. Well, definitely appreciate you you joining us. I joked with Jordan, he is our guinea pig uh, in terms of guests. I think even in, in posting these episodes, it's probably going to be the first uh, guest appearance. We hope to have more this season. Um, but yes, Jordan was our guinea pig. Uh, it just fit perfectly. So hopefully it wasn't too painful of a process for you. No, I'm 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 honored to be the first guinea pig. This is like I said, I, I I was so I've been so thrilled with just the existence of this. And so to be able to actually be the first guest, like I'm I am yeah. truly honored. So it's, it's been my pleasure, y'all. I'm so happy to have you Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown. Find me on social media at Crafting the Mind. And I'm comic enthusiast and professional nerd Keaton Hopkins. Check out my TV and movie reviews on YouTube at TeamJBS. Check out our website at bat-therapy.com, our Bat Therapy YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. See you next week. Same Bat time, same Bat channel.